tonight. Thank you, Father, for this story and the encouragement it can be to us. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in John chapter number 6 and we looked at a very familiar story. You probably recognized it as soon as we started reading it. And we come to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. And uh, the Bible tells us there that God, uh, Jesus fed them there with uh, lad's lunch, uh, five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now, I want to just show you a few things from this story that might be encouraging to you. If you look there at, let's just start at verse number 5. John chapter number 6 and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, When Jesus lifted up His eyes and saw a great multitude, I'm sorry, and saw a great company come, about, come unto Him, He saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? So the, the problem is that Jesus sees this great group of people and He asks this question, when shall we buy bread? Or, or from where are we going to buy bread? Where are we going to get bread that these may eat? Now look at verse number 6. It's interesting because if, you, if we didn't have verse 6 there, we'd think, man, Jesus was in a bind. He didn't know what to do. And He was asking His disciples for, for uh, guidance or help or saying, you know, what, what, how can we take care of the situation? But look at verse 6. Verse 6 there is put there to encourage us. It says, and this He said to prove Him. Who's him? Philip, the person he asked. He said, this is to prove him, for he himself, that's Jesus, knew what he would do. So Jesus knew all along what he would do. Jesus knew all along that he was, how he was going to take care of the situation. But he asked the question to see what, to prove Philip. So the first thing we can understand from this is that nothing catches Jesus, who is God, by surprise. You know, sometimes we think, people will make statements and they'll say, well, you know, does God even know what I'm going through? Or does God even understand the issue that I'm in right now? Or does God understand the problem that we're in? Or does, does God even know um, how to help me through this? And, and, and the encouragement thing is this, that you can, we can understand and we can gather from the story, nothing catches God by surprise. No, there's no action, there's no performance, there's nothing that any person, any, any sin that someone commits or anything that somebody does to you or anything that somebody does to, to uh, our church or to Christians or to God that, that makes God uh, sit back and think, I don't know what I'm going to do. When he asked this question to Philip and he said, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? The purpose of the question was just to see what Philip would respond. He said, and this he said to prove him for himself knew what he would do. He wanted to prove him, or another word for that would be test him, because Jesus and God is always very interested in how you will re react when a problem arises which requires you to exercise faith. Many times God will put us through, uh, through, through a trial or through a testing or through a proving period and He's going to put us through something that, that requires us to exercise faith and He just wants to see how we're going to react. If you remember just a couple weeks ago, we're, uh, we're in John chapter number 5 and we looked at the impotent man there that was at the pool of Bethsaida and, uh, and he'd been there for 38 years and if you remember, Jesus Christ walked up to him and he asked him a question. He said, will thou be made whole? So we see there that, that, that Jesus is just this type of person. He likes to ask people questions because He wants to know how are they going to react. And, and this reminds me of, um, and you might not be familiar with the story, but if you just go with me real quick, I just want to show you in Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter number 22. In Genesis chapter number 22, we find a very familiar story. 
Genesis chapter number 22, and I'm just showing you this because when Jesus asked him, you know, where are we going to get this bread from? It reminds me of the story in Genesis 22. And I'll just show you real quick, real quickly, look at verse number 1. Genesis chapter number 22, and look at verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham. So the Bible says that God did tempt Abraham. That word tempt there, it has the same idea as when Jesus Christ in John chapter number 6 was asking a question in order to prove Philip. He just wanted to see how he's going to react. He was putting him through a, uh, a test there. That word tempt means attempted to or, or, or tempted. Uh, he's testing him. God did tempt Abraham. How did he tempt him? And said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So he pretty much said, Abraham, and if you remember the story of, of Abraham, uh, he only had one son. And the son was a miracle son. He wasn't able to have children. And God gave him children after him and his wife had been at an age where they weren't, wouldn't be able to have children. And after God gave him this child of promise, then God asked him, Hey, I want you to take your son, thine only son Isaac, and I want you to offer him uh, for a burnt offering in a mountain I'm going to tell you. And look at, and the Bible tells us that the reason God told Abraham to sacrifice his son was because God did tempt Abraham. And look at verse number 3. Look at how Abraham responds. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and tattled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. We don't see Abraham bickering. We don't see Abraham complaining. We don't see Abraham asking, well, why God? Well, why are you going to take my son? And this is the son This is the son of promise that you gave me. This is the son you said I was going to have. I'm not able to have any more children. You promised me the son and now you want me to kill the son? Why? We don't see Abraham doing that. He just gets up early in the morning. And that's a good thing. I like it when I read something in the Bible where it says that someone rose up early in the morning. We need more, more of that getting up early in the morning. But he rose up early in the morning and he went on his way. And we'll skip, you know, look, look at the end of the story. Look at verse number 10. We'll skip all the verses in between just because I want to show you this example of Abraham when he was tempted, how he responded. But look at verse number 10. Genesis chapter number 22. Look at verse number 10. They are now at the mountain that God told them to go. Uh, and Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice his son. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So he literally has a knife in his hand. He, he raised it up. He's getting ready to kill his son. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Let not thine hand, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So the Bible says that God knew that Abraham feared God because of the way God responded, or Abraham responded when God tempted him. And God, and you can go back to John chapter number 6, Jesus Christ was proving or tempting or testing Philip, and he was wanting to see how Philip was going to respond uh, to the question that he asked him. And unfortunately... I don't think that the disciples did very well. Look at verse number 7. Jesus Christ just asked them the question, where are we going to get the money? Where are we going to get the resources? Where are we gonna, where, how are we going to feed this great multitude of people? Look at verse 7. Philip answered him. Now unfortunately, Philip didn't have a uh, response like 
Abraham did, because the Bible says Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take a little. So he said, so he, so he says to him, he throws this number, he says, if we have 200 penny worth of, of, worth of bread, that wouldn't be enough to give every single person just a little bit. Now you may be asking, well, what, what, is, what is that amount, 200 penny worth? Well, you know, we can, a lot of times the Bible will allow us to be able to see and, and, and study it out and see what something costs or what something is if we do a word search. I'd like you to just go to Matthew chapter number 20 and I'll show you something very quickly. Matthew chapter number 20 and look at verse number 1. Matthew chapter number 20 and look at verse number 1. And I'll also give you an example of how you should study the Bible. Matthew chapter number 20 and, look number, and verse number 1. This is an example of how you should study the Bible when you're doing your own personal Bible reading and, and study. John chapter number 6 and verse 7, the Bible says, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. So what we want to know then is how much is that? What is 200 penny worth? Well, the way you would study that out is you would just look up. You know, if you want to know what, what a word means in the Bible, you just get a concordance or you go on the internet and download ESORT or, or get some sort of a, a software program um, or, 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 a, or a concordance and you look up that word every time it comes up in the Bible. And you read that every time it comes up in the Bible and it will tell you how, you know, what that word means. If you, have a, you don't have to go to a dictionary. You don't have to go to a commentary. You can just use the Bible as its own dictionary. So, what is 200 penny worth? So, we... Look up the word pennyworth or the word penny. And uh, one of the passages, uh, the word penny will come up several times in the Bible. But one of the passages will tell us what, what's, what, is, what's a, what is that a penny is worth. Now a penny is not like our modern day penny today. You know, a penny in the, in the Bible is not like a penny that, you know, where we take a hundred pennies and they make, make a dollar. Look at Matthew chapter number 20, look at verse 1. Now we're... We're, we're seeing Jesus give a parable here. And he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is in householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers, look what it says, for a penny a day. Do you see that in verse number 2? And when he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he went, he sent them into his vineyard. So according to Matthew chapter number 20, in verse number 2, there was a man, a, 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 uh, a businessman here, he was hiring laborers, and he agreed, he went in the contract with the laborers, here's what, he said, here's what they agreed on, a penny a day. So what did that tell us? Well, one penny is one day's worth of labor. Because these men, they said, okay, we're going to work for you for an entire day, and you're going to pay us one penny. So one penny is a day's worth of labor. So today... What is what would this penny, this this uh, this you know Bible penny? What would that be worth today? Well, what what would some what does somebody you know uh, uh, a laborer get paid in one day? You know somebody that goes to work and works an entire uh, day. In this case, uh, they're talking about a twelve-hour shift. You know that would be about sixty, eighty dollars probably. You know a, a laborer. You know you go to work and you make sixty, eighty dollars in, in one day. You know obviously that. Depends on, on their skill and, and their employer or whatever. But, you know, I, I would say a safe number would be about $60, $80 a day is what a penny is worth. 
according to the Bible. Because this man went out to hire laborers into his vineyard, and he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day. So they said, okay, we're going to go to work, you're going to pay us one penny. So go back to John chapter number 6. So we know that a penny equals one day's worth of pay. So in our modern day, that I'm guessing that would be somewhere between $60, $80, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even up to $100, but I'm just using a conservative number. $60 to $80 a day is what maybe somebody would make after working one day an entire day. Now, Philip said 200 penny worth of bread. So he said, if we took, if we had 200 pennies, worth of bread. So if we took 200 pennies and purchased that much bread, we wouldn't even have enough to give everybody a little bit. So think about this. So he's saying 200 pennies. If a penny is one, you know, day's worth of work, 60 to $80, a conservative number, 60 to $80 worth, uh, you know, if, if you go to work and you work an entire day, you maybe, maybe earn 60 to $80, uh, maybe a little more. Um, you know, multiply that by 200 you're up to $12,000 to $16,000 in our modern day terminology. So, Philip says, look, if we had twelve dollars to $16,000 worth of bread, that wouldn't be enough to give these people just a little bit. So, Philip sees this question as something impossible. I mean, he, he's saying... Jesus asked, where are we going to get the bread? How are we going to feed these people? And he said, look, if we had, if, if we had you know, 200 days worth of money, you know, if I worked for 200 days straight, take all that money I earned and go purchase bread, we're not going to have enough bread to give these people even a, a little bit. See, he's, he's looking at the problem. He's looking at the situation. He's looking at, at the dilemma. And he's not seeing it through God's eyes. Because if you remember, he's speaking to Jesus Christ. You think he would know, hey, I'm speaking with God. I'm speaking with, with uh, the Lord. And, and there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing that, that God can't take care of. But he's looking at it through uh, a human perspective. He's saying, this is impossible. Now, fortunately for Philip, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, you don't have to turn there. Jesus himself said this, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And you know, it's good to know that God still specializes in doing the impossible. Whatever you might be looking at tonight with your human uh, perspective and you're thinking, man, that, that's just something impossible. Well, whatever you might be going through right now or you might be thinking about or the next hurdle you're seeing or you're seeing, you're seeing the, 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 the next uh, battle I've got to fight, the next dilemma I've got to deal with, the next issue I've got to deal with. It's just too much for me to take care of. It's too much for me to do. It's too much for me to overcome. I can't get over that or I can't uh, take care of that or I can't win that battle or I can't feed those people or I can't do that. Hey, God says and Jesus says, hey, there's nothing too hard for God. With men, yes, it might be impossible, but with God all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with Jesus Christ. But Philip was looking at this and he was saying, 200 penny worth of bread? It's not sufficient that it, for them that every one of them may take a little. And look at verse number 8. We see another disciple come up. Now his disciple does a little better but still fails. Look at verse number 8. He says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here 
which had five barley loaves and two small fishes. So, and the end of that verse says, but what are these? But what are they among so many? So Andrew does a good thing. Andrew brings a lad to Jesus Christ. It's always good to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. You know, it's always good to just go out and find somebody and say, man, we've got a problem here, and I don't really know what to do, but I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to take somebody to Jesus, because I know Jesus will take care of it. And Andrew did a good thing. He brought somebody to Jesus Christ, but he did a bad thing, or he messed up a little bit, when he, he still, even when he brings a lad, and he brings, you know, he, he brings to Jesus something that might be a way to solve the problem. He says, hey, there's somebody here who's got some food. There's a lad here, and he brings him to Jesus. But, it, but in the same step of exercising a little bit of faith there, he also doubts, and he says, but what are they among so many? And understandably so. I mean, obviously, uh, we'll see here in a little bit that the Bible says that there was 5,000 men. Now, 5,000 men is not counting women and children. The Bible only tells us that there was 5,000 men there. If you, if, if you think, you know, there, let's say there was 5,000 men, and there was all of their wives, and let's just say they each had one child. You know, that's a very con- that, w- that would give us a very conservative number, don't you think? I mean, more than likely, more than likely there was more than, you know, they had more than one child. More than likely... Each family there had maybe two children, or three children, or four children, or five children. But let's just, let's just keep it at, at there was 5,000 men, and for every man there was a wife, and there was a child. Hey, that would put us at like 15,000 people that were there. Probably closer to 25,000 people. I mean, do you, do you understand what 15 to 25,000 people are? That, that's how many you fit in Arco Arena. I believe Arco Arena fits 15,000 people. I mean, are you starting to understand? If I took you down to Arco Arena, you know, and it was just a packed uh, house, and I would never take you to Arco Arena, you know, <laughs> to watch a basketball game or anything like that. But, but hypothetically, let's say that it was just full with people, and I took you to Arco Arena, and I asked you this question, where are we going to get the food to feed all these people? Wouldn't you say, man? You know, 12000 to $16,000 worth of bread isn't enough to give everyone a little bit. I mean, are you starting to understand why when Andrew brings a lad, he says, hey, there's a, there's a young lad here, and he's got five barley loaves, and he's got two fishes. Do you understand why he says, but what are they among so many? I mean, we, we shouldn't beat up on these guys that much. Humanly speaking, I mean, think about it. If you had Arco Arena completely packed out, and somebody says, hey, I've got five pieces of bread and two small fishes, let's feed this whole crowd. You'd be like, that's insane. And it, I mean... And if you look at the need compared to what the resources they had, it was impossible. It, they, there, there's no way they could feed those people. But God still specializes in doing the impossible. Andrew does a good thing. He brings someone to Jesus Christ. But even Andrew doubts what can be done because he says, man, what are these amongst so many? It reminds me of another story. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter number 12... Um, the, the church there in the book of Acts, that early church, uh, Peter got, had been cast into prison. The Bible says that Peter uh, was kept in prison. And the Bible says that prayer was made without ceasing, ceasing for him. So the church there was praying, and they were praying for Peter, and they were praying that God, that God would somehow get him out, because uh, you know they didn't want Peter to be beheaded, and they didn't want anything to happen. And God answered their prayer. The Bible says that God sent an angel, and He had uh, Peter delivered. He, he woke Peter up, and he, and he opened the gates, and He opened the bars, and He let him through, and the, the chains fell off, and, and, and all that fell, 
you know, he was, he was free and he took him outside. The Bible says that Peter thought it was a dream. He didn't even think he'd, you know, he, he, when he was outside, he realized, whoa, I'm not in prison anymore. And he went over to the house of Mary, where, where they were all gathered together praying. Now think about this. Imagine if, to, you know, if, if we're, the, we're that early church, and, and Peter is with us, and Peter is cast into prison, and we're just praying all night long. We're saying, God, we want you to deliver Peter. God, we want you to, you know. Now, if we're, we're praying for God to do what? To take Peter out of prison. That's what we're asking God to do. And supposedly we believe that that's what God can do. And let's say that God answered our prayer and He sent an angel and He delivered Peter. Well, according to the story, when Peter goes um, to there where they're praying, the Bible says that Peter uh, knocked at the door and, and there was a, dam- a damsel that came out. Her name was Rhoda. And the Bible says that she knew Peter's voice so, and she opened up the gate. For gladness, but she ran and told the people. And she said, so think about this. They're praying, uh, you know, God, please let Peter go. And Peter get, goes and he knocks on the door and she hears his voice and she's so excited. She's like, wow, Peter's at the door and, and, and God answered her prayer. And she doesn't even let him in. She runs to tell everybody. And, uh, and how do you think they responded? The people praying. They said, wow, praise the Lord. He answered her prayer. This other, they, they said to her, thou art mad. They said, you are insane. Said, do you really think that Peter is outside? Peter's in prison. Now think about this. They're praying that Peter would be delivered from prison. And when Peter shows up at the door, they, and, and the girl says, Peter's at the door, they say, you're crazy. The Bible says that Peter uh, continued knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, here's what the Bible says, they were astonished. And it's interesting to me that as Christians many times, we will pray and ask God to do something, and ask God to, and we'll plead with God, and we'll say, God, can you do something for us? And then when God steps in and He does it, we're astonished because here's the problem, we never actually believe that God would do anything. We never actually have faith that God was going to take care of it. See, Philip or Andrew brings a young lad to Jesus and says, hey, there's a lad here, he's got, a, he's got some food, he's got five barley loaves and a few fishes, but then he makes the same, well, what are they among so many? He never actually believed Jesus was going to do anything with that food. He never actually believed that anything was going to be accomplished. And you know, we got to be careful about that. When we pray, we should exercise faith and actually believe and expect that God is going to answer our prayer. But look, look at uh, verse number 10 in John chapter number 6. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 in John chapter number 6. And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass. Now it says there was much grass because they needed much room to sit all these people down. There was much grass in the, in the place. So the men sat down. Notice it says the men sat down. In number about 5,000. So a lot of times we'll, we'll, people will tell the story, Jesus Christ uh, fed 5,000. And look, feeding 5,000 people is a, a big accomplishment, uh, you know, in and of itself. But we got to keep in mind, only the men were 5,000. There was women there. There was obviously children. There was a lad there who had a lunch. You know, so there was other people there. So, and like I said, you know, I, I don't know how many people were there. The Bible only tells us there was 5,000 men. But, um, you know, a conservative number would be 15,000 people. Maybe even up to 25,000 people, maybe even more. You know, who knows? But there was this huge... So the Bible says, uh, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Look at verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves. And when He had given thanks... And let's just, just, just remember that. You know, before you sit down to eat, you should always give thanks to God. Because that's, that's food that God provided for you. 
You say, well, no, I provided that food because I went to work. No, God allowed you to go to work. And God allowed you to make money. And God is the one who takes care of you. And God feeds you. And you say, well, I eat food that I don't like because I'm broke. Well, you know what? There's some people who aren't eating anything around the world. So when, whenever you have food, you should, you know, Jesus Christ gives us a good example there. The Bible says that he, when he had given thanks. So he, he took time to pray and thank God for providing the food. But you say, well, he only provided five barley loaves and two fishes. He still thanked God. He thanked God for what God provided. And then it says, he had given thanks. He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. So don't, don't miss this. He takes the lad's lunch, five barley loaves, and two small fishes. He gives thanks and says, Dear God, or dear me, because He is God, He says, thank you for providing this lunch to feed these people. And He simply begins to take the bread and He begins to cut it, to rip it. And He says, here. They take it, start giving it to somebody. And He takes the same bread and cuts it again. And gives it to somebody. Takes the same bread and cuts it again. And He just keeps doing that. Just keeps taking. He takes a fish and He rips it. And then He takes the piece that's left over and He rips it again. And he takes a piece that's left over and he rips it again and he just keeps doing this and he keeps doing this and he keeps doing this and he keeps doing this. It says, um, as much as they would. I mean, they ate till they were full. They ate till they were done. They ate till they could feed no more. So they could eat no more. He just took those five loaves and two small fishes and he, and he took that and he fed this crowd with it. That was quite a miracle. God specializes. You say, but that was such a small lunch. That was such a weak lunch. That was such a, a, a small uh, resource to feed all those people. But God specializes in using that which is small. Remember this. Here's the point of this, uh, of, of, this, of this miracle. Is that God specializes in using that which is small. God specializes in using that which is weak. God specializes in using that which is inadequate. He specializes in using that which is unimpressive. He specializes in using that which is of no value. He specializes in using that in which people have no confidence. In which people have no use for. He will take those things and He will use them and He will multiply them and He will make a miracle with it. If you would just give to God whatever you have to offer. The only reason these people got fed is because a young lad and because Andrew had the guts to say, Hey, this is all we've got. We've only got this small lunch. That's all we've got to work with, but we're going to take it to God. See, many people today will, will, will say, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer God. My life is in ruins. My life is in shambles. My life is destroyed. My life is wrecked with sin. My life has a lot of issues. My life has a lot of problems. My life is too small. My life is too weak. My life is too inadequate. I can't give anything to God. But if you just give yourself to God, God will take you and He'd multiply. God will take you and He'd, and, and he'd feed people with it. And He'd use it above and beyond anything you could ever think of amusing. How could He take five loaves and two small fishes and feed 5,000 men and, and maybe even uh, 15,000 to 25,000 people? It's impossible, but He was able to do it because God specializes in doing the impossible. And you say, well, how can God use me? Well, He can do it. Well, why? Because He specializes in using the impossible, doing the impossible. He loves to use that which is weak. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse 26 uh, says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise, 
men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the, uh, of the world and things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to not things that are. And here's why. Verse 29 says, that no flesh should glory in His presence. See, God loves to use those things that no one has no confidence in because when He feeds 15,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, there is no denying that He did that. There is no denying that He did that through His power and through His glory. See, if you had a lot to offer, and you had all the money in the world, and all the talent in the world, and everything you could ever imagine, then if you did something for God and God used you, you might get the glory for it. But when people look at you and they say, man, that person is not going to do anything for God. That person can't do anything for God. But you just say, hey God, I don't have much. I'm just five loaves. I'm just two fishes. But I'm going to give myself to you and let you use me. Then when God uses you in a mighty way, people stand back and here's what they do. They give God the glory. And God loves doing, God loves using those who He knows when He's done that He's going to get the glory. Don't miss the fact that God can take whatever little you offer Him and multiply it. Now, when we say whatever little you offer, we're not saying offer God a little bit. We're saying, offer God all you've got. The young lad offered Him his entire lunch. It just happened to be that his entire lunch was very small. I'm not saying give God a little bit of yourself. Offer Him all you've got. But just remember that your, your lunch, your life, compared to the need, is extremely small. And it's extremely impossible. You know, if you look at this church, it's only been around for 12 weeks or whatever. You say, do you really, I mean, look around. You say, do you really think you're going to reach the world with a crowd this size? Meeting in a home? On a Wednesday night? Do you really think you're going to be used of God? Do you really think you can, well, well here's the thing, no. Honestly, No. It would be impossible for us to reach uh, Sacramento. It would be impossible for us to reach California. It would be, look, I'm telling you, it would be impossible for us in and of ourselves to go out and do anything for God. But look, let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ could take five small loaves, and, or five loaves and two small fishes and feed 15, 25,000 people, let me tell you, God can take us and do something with us. God can take us and multiply us. God can take us and use us in a mighty way. But here's the only a caveat to that is this, that we must offer ourselves. No one would have been fed of the young man. I mean, think about this. 15, there's 15,000 people there, maybe? And only one person offered their lunch? <laughs> the trick is getting somebody to offer something. The trick isn't getting Jesus Christ to do something. The trick is getting somebody to offer something. But look at verse number 12. Look at verse number 12. It says, when they were filled. So they ate and they were full. He said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain. And look what it says. That nothing be lost. Jesus Christ said, Go around and gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Look at verse 13. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above 
unto them that had eaten. Now, I want you to... I don't want, I don't want you to miss a few things, so let me just give you a few things that are my notes about these verses. We see here, first of all, that Jesus is not wasteful. Even the fragments were something He wanted them to pick up. And you got to keep in mind, the fragments were more than what they started with. You see that? They started with five barley loaves and two, I like how the Bible says, small fishes. I mean, it's not enough for the Bible to say five barley loaves and two fishes. It needed to take the extra step to tell us they were small fishes. And at the end, the Bible says that they, um, they gathered 12 baskets with the fragments. So the fragments, the leftovers, were, was more than what they started with. Jesus doesn't want anything to be lost. He wants us to conserve our fragments, and He wants us to conserve our results. What did Jesus and His disciples... No, you got to keep this in mind too. What did Jesus and His disciples eat for lunch that day? Because we, we find them... Uh, when Jesus is distributing, what does He do? He takes the bread, He, he, rips, you know, he, he does His thing, and He gives it to the apostles, and then the, the disciples give it to the people. And that's how it works. You know, that's a picture of so many. God is going to give you something from the Bible and then He expects you to take that to somebody else. God is going to give you food from the Bible and then He expects you to take that food to feed somebody else. So that, that's a picture of so many. But, but we, don't, we don't see that they ate anything. So what did they eat? They ate, they ate the leftovers. They ate the fragments. You know, so if the fragments are good enough for Jesus Christ and His disciples, hey, they're good enough for us. Don't be wasteful and just... He, he said, hey, I don't want these fragments to go to waste. And think about this. They go and pick up the fragments, and how many basketfuls does the Bible say that they have? Exactly 12 basketfuls. How many disciples were there? 12. So, God, Jesus Christ made sure, hey, he, he says, hey, I'm going to take care of my laborers. I'm going to take care of my workers. You know, the 12 might have been sitting there feeding, you know, going and, and feeding everybody and thinking, well, when are we going to get lunch? Well, when, when are we going to be fed? Well, we're just in the ministry and we're just serving and we're just doing and we're just, we're just doing everything. Hey, look, Jesus Christ will make sure you get taken care of. I don't think it was a coincidence that there was 12 baskets left over for the 12 disciples. He made sure that they all got taken care of. But He commanded them to gather up the fragments. You know, going back to the idea of our church. You know, our, our church, and, I, and I'm not, don't take this the wrong way, I'm not, I love our church, and, I, and I, I think we've got everything we need because we've got the Bible and we've got God. But realistically, at this point in time, our church is not going to, more than likely, attract the doctors or the lawyers or the CEOs of this community. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody who comes to Verity Baptist Church is going to come here because they love God and they love the Bible and they want to hear preaching. But these people who are into just their, uh, you know, social atmospheres and they go to church because it's more of a show and they're not really interested in the Bible, they're not going to come here. You know, the only successful people, you know, I'm talking about like someone who's like a millionaire or somebody, you know, the, the only person who might come to a church like this is somebody who already, you know has biblical convictions and they already know what they're looking for and they're looking for a church that's going to preach the Bible and they're, you know, and they have the same philosophy like we do that church is not a building 
church are the people. Um, but for the most part, you know, I understand that lawyers and doctors and CEOs and, and, and very, very successful people, they're probably not going to look for us to be their, uh, their church. But you know what we can do? We can at the very least gather up the fragments. You know, what are the fragments? Everybody ate the meal, and what are the fragments? The leftovers. The pieces that nobody wanted. And let me tell you something. All across Sacramento, and all across California, there are people who are humble, and who are maybe struggling, or who are maybe going through something, or are maybe needing something, and they need somebody to pray for them, they need somebody to love them, they need somebody to show them the gospel, they need somebody to get them saved, they need somebody to bring them to church, they need, they, they need, and, and, and yes, you know, you and me might be considered, you know, the fragments of this society, we may, may, we may be the, the parts of this society that nobody loves, and nobody cares for, and nobody wants, but Jesus Christ said, hey, I don't even want the fragments, I don't even want the leftovers, I don't even want that which nobody wanted to be lost. He said, hey, go gather up the fragments. And when they gathered the fragments, the fragments was more than what they started with. And we might not be able to attract, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and every other politician in Sacramento, but can we go gather the fragments and maybe we'll end up with 12 baskets full of something? No, we can at least gather up the fragments. Who are the fragments? Those are the more down-to-earth people. More humble people. Because, I mean, who did Jesus go to? We're told that He was with the common man. He was with the sinner. He was with the publican. You know, He wasn't spending His time with the lawyers and the Pharisees. And he was, and they spoke ill of Him because of that. They, they said, well, why do you spend so much time with... And He said, well, those are the people who need Me. And those are the people who accept me. Do you remember when we were going through uh, the difference between Galilee and Judea? And how he was performing miracles in Galilee? And he was not in, in Judea. Why? Because those people were accepting him. The fragments can be gathered up. But here's the main focus of this, of this uh, miracle. The, the, the point of the miracle is this. No matter what you have to offer... Jesus Christ can take that and He can use that and He can take your life and He can transform it and He can multiply it and He can use it in a mighty way but you've got to offer it. And that's, that's the, the main uh, thing that we can learn from this is that and Jesus Christ is interested in the fragments. So let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father.